thankful for the victory that you give us. Um, through your power, through sending your son to die on the cross for our sins, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, Lord, and not be ashamed. Um, and our sins are many, you have paid for them all. I pray you give me wisdom as I speak tonight. Uh, help me to speak clearly and, and let our conversation and everything we do here tonight be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Anyone who knows anything about the New Testament, and hopefully all of you know something about the New Testament if you come to this church, anybody who knows something about the New Testament knows something about Paul. As a matter of fact, if one could make a spiritual family tree, most likely everybody in here tonight could trace their spiritual lineage directly back to Paul. My mic's not on. Hang on a second. How's that? All right. Seriously, I'm, I, I, tend, I tend to be kind of soft-spoken, so if anybody can't hear me, um, wave at me, and I'll, I'll try to talk, speak up a little bit. Hi, Donnie. How you doing? <laughs> I'll get the message. Anyway, most likely, everybody in this room here tonight could probably trace their spiritual lineage directly back to Paul, um, if you could make a spiritual family tree. He was the great missionary to the Gentiles. Um, and even if you can't trace your spiritual lineage directly back to Paul, I'm sure you were helped in your knowledge of salvation uh, by the divine inspiration of his epistles. God wasn't, or Paul was indeed the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. And we do right to talk about, teach about, and study, and by God's grace, live his example. Um, and I love Paul. And for Pete's sake, Paul is my middle name even. I can't overstate it. We're, we're going to be in Acts 9 today, so if everybody would just open your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Actually, um, back up a little bit. We're going to start at the end of Acts 7 and uh, read a little bit in 8 and then go to Acts 9. The time frame is right about 36 years after the death of our Lord and Savior and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, and the persecution of the church was heating up. In chapter 7, the first Christian to be martyred was Stephen. Um, let's just read that passage. Chapter 7, we're going to start in verse, 30, in verse 58. Um, and cast him out of the city and stone him. I'm talking about Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore... They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now, the mobilization of the Jewish religious hierarchy had been really effective in getting the Christians to leave Jerusalem. Um, just like God always does, he uses evil for good. And the, the, the religious hierarchy of the Jews were trying to, trying to stamp out Christianity. But instead of stamping it out, they were spreading embers into a forest that was parched and ready to burn down. Um, in chapter 9, we find Paul. 
Saul at this time, en route to, en route to Damascus, intent on throwing every follower of Christ he could find in prison. Again, this was a time of intense persecution of the church. I think, I think verse 2 in chapter 9 states it most eloquently. Or chapter 1, verse 1 of chapter 9, excuse me. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Um, Damascus is about 150 miles north northwest of Jerusalem in a really fertile plain. And in New Testament times, this isn't the case today, it's Muslim territory, but in New Testament times, they had a very large Jewish population. And in, times of, in the times of intense persecution, many of the Jews that were in Jerusalem, many of the Christians that were in Jerusalem, had fled to Damascus. Um, and it's here that we meet Ananias. And this is actually the subject of my sermon. You guys all thought it was fault, didn't you? Well, I'm actually going to talk about Ananias. Um, the Bible has very, very little to say about him. In fact, he's only mentioned in two passages. And it was interesting this week, uh, as, as people asked me what I was going to preach on, I'd say, I'm preaching on Ananias. They say, Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, no, the other Ananias. <laughs> um, in Hebrew, Ananias is pronounced Hananiah. It's the same name as one of Daniel's faithful friends uh, in, that we more commonly know as Shadrach. Ananias also... Uh, another Ananias in the Bible was the high priest in Jerusalem who tried Paul for preaching the gospel. I'm just going to read the passage. We're in Acts 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly they shined, they shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And unto him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold... He prayeth, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, and into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it, as it had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith, and arose 
and was baptized. The other passage that Ananias is mentioned in the Bible um, is Acts 22 and chapter 12. Uh, and it says that Paul is talking about Ananias. He's talking about his conversion. He says, Ananias was a devout man and well thought of in all the Jews in that area. And that's about all we have in the way of biographical information. Um, tradition has it that Ananias became a pastor of the church in Damascus and died a martyr. Um, God in his sovereignty did not provide us with any more information about Ananias. But we, there, what we have, we can learn some valuable lessons from. So before I talk about all that Ananias was, let's talk about some things that he wasn't. The Bible says of Ananias that he was, quote, a certain disciple, not an apostle, a pastor, or even a deacon. And he may have been a pastor or a deacon, but the Bible doesn't say. It just says it was a certain disciple. Um, but he was a, just a faithful servant. The Bible does not record him performing any miracles, unless you want to count this passage. I find it interesting, though, that for every Paul, or in modern context, you could say William Carey, D.L. Moody, or Charles Spurgeon, there was an Ananias, a disciple of Christ that wasn't necessarily out leading thousands to the Lord. Not necessarily that he was not leading thousands to the Lord, but a man who was ready when the Lord prompted him to go. William Carey was led to the Lord by a simple shoemaker who we know next to nothing about. Charles Spurgeon was led to the Lord by a layman who got up to preach on a snowy night. Uh, it was a blizzarding night, and the pastor couldn't come to church, and so this guy said, all right, I'll get up to preach. And by all accounts, he was a lousy preacher. <laughs> but God used him because he was faithful. He was, he was prepared. He was ready to go when the Lord called him. D.L. Moody was led to the Lord by a Sunday school teacher who was simply a layman. I don't know if you guys remember the summer at family camp. I don't know how many of you were there, but... but um, I can't think of the guy's name either, who came in. Doug Whitley, yes. Um, he did D.L. Moody, and he talked about D.L. Moody's conversion, how the, it was just a Sunday school teacher. And he felt convicted to go witness to Moody, and he went up to him in his shoe store and um, just laid it on the line, and D.L. Moody was saved. God uses ordinary people to do great things. After all, our sufficiency is in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But even if, if, if you're not Paul, you may be Ananias. And it's hard to find people who are willing to faithfully serve in obscurity. When that Sunday school teacher went and shared the gospel with D.L. Moody, he had no idea that Moody was going to go on and be a great preacher, found Moody Bible Institute, which is going to send out thousands of missionaries and pastors into the world, and personally himself lead thousands of people to Christ and accomplish such great things. So that Sunday school teacher, D.L. Moody, was just punky kid in his Sunday school class that he felt convicted to go witness to. It was the same with William Carey's shoemaker, his fellow shoemaker, and C.H. Spurgeon's layman preacher. Um, Ananias had the benefit of hearing from God audibly his plans for Paul, although I don't think even Ananias knew or could have even imagined the ramifications the way that Paul's life and his conversion would change the face of history. I don't think Ananias could really understand that. But he was prepared to serve the Lord at a moment's notice. He was a spiritual minute, a spiritual minute man. And, and it's a good thing because that's all God gave him was about a minute. Which brings us to our first point. Ananias was well prepared. 
Uh, look at Ananias' response to the Lord's calling. It was not panic, dread, or a long list of sins that needed to be confessed. Ananias lived his life in such a way that when the Lord called, his answer was, here I am. And God knew he was ready. That's why he called him. He didn't say, Ananias, I have something I need you to do, but first you need to spend some more time in prayer and study. You need to quit rebelling against me. You need to give up your addiction to Twinkies. Or whatever. I don't think they had Twinkies back then. So, Sorry, I've been reading the New Living Translation. But, but the, point, the point is, Ananias was on solid spiritual ground. The Lord says in verse 15, Go thy way. And in verse 17, it says, And Ananias went. He didn't hesitate, not even for a moment. We need to be ready any time to minister. The Lord told Ananias what he wanted him to do, apparently right when he wanted him to do it. And as you study scripture, you find that that's how God almost always works. He doesn't give people much of a heads up, much of a a warning, quote unquote, I know I've fallen in the trap of saying, Lord, why didn't you give me more warning when he, when he asked me to do something? But when you read the scripture, you see when God asks his servants to do something, he tells them to do it now. And I can't think of the Lord ever saying, hey, in a few months, I'm going to ask you to do this, so be ready at that time. No, he says, go. He told Joseph, arise and flee to Egypt. <clears throat> Joseph and Mary. Joseph, uh, the son of Abraham, was carried to Egypt against his will. But he told Joseph to rise and flee to Egypt. He told Abraham, get out of your father's country. He told Moses to speak to Pharaoh. He told Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. He told Ananias to go minister to Paul, and he told him to do it now. So God's servants don't really get the luxury of taking their time when God tells them to do something. When God tells you to do something, God prompts you, convicts you. Or when you you, you read the Bible and you see there's a sin that you need to get out of your life, God's not telling you to do it later. He's telling you to do it now. Um, And so you need to be prepared in a moment's notice when those opportunities arrive. So Ananias was prepared. Second point, Ananias had confidence. And his confidence, you could tell it was there, but it wasn't in himself. I'm sure the thought of talking to Saul the Pharisee was not very appealing to Ananias. Here's a man who was known for his intense persecution against the church. And he didn't come to Damascus as a tourist. He came to Damascus on a mission, he thought, from God to imprison or kill every man, woman, and child that called upon the name of the Lord. And Ananias knew what was going on here. In fact, he gave the Lord a general reminder in verses 13 and 14 about who exactly he was talking about. Ananias answered the Lord and said, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call upon thy name. So these verses are encouraging to me because Ananias wasn't, Ananias wasn't a man that was completely without any fear. You know how sometimes you run into a guy that seems to have absolutely no regard for his life at all? It's like, eh, who cares if I, you know, I don't care if I get hurt or die or whatever, I'm going to go for it. I'm not that way. <laughs> and neither was Ananias. But you don't have to be that way to be faithful and serve the Lord. He 
He was confident not because he had good insurance or a fast getaway donkey. He didn't know Kung Fu. I guess he might. I guess I don't know. But I don't think he knew Kung Fu. He had placed his faith in the one who called him, knowing that he was faithful to bring it to pass. And in a sense, I really, when I was preparing this outline, I thought, man, I don't know if I should have point number two be confidence or faith. And it's kind of the same thing. But Ananias, his confidence wasn't in himself. He had faith. He knew that the Lord who called him was faithful. And that's what enabled him to go proclaim Jesus to a man who had vehemently opposed the work of Christ for his entire adult life. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't really say this, um, but it wouldn't be a stretch to think that, that Paul had probably personally imprisoned some of Ananias' friends, uh, maybe that he knew personally. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. But no matter, he trusted the Lord to work in the heart of Saul. We have the benefit of knowing the whole story. Ananias didn't have that luxury. When God asked us to do something, you know, he told Ananias that, that, he, that he was going to use Saul. And when God asks us to do something, he doesn't... When we're prompted to do something, when we're, we're convicted to give up some sin... Um, we don't have the benefit of God audibly telling us how it's going to turn out. We do have the benefit of God's word and his promises, like we sang tonight. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God. But it's, it's been a big encouragement to me, the fact that even though I don't know how it's going to turn out, God does know the whole story. And the same thing with Ananias here. Ananias didn't know what was going to happen, but God knew the whole story. And when, we're, when, when we go serve the Lord, do you think God knows the whole story? Yeah, he does. So the thing about the unknown is that it's unknown to us, but it's not unknown to God. So it's not really unknown at all. I was talking to a friend of mine once after a weekend of camp, and the Lord had really moved in his heart. The Lord had really moved in his heart to start a Bible study. And he came and, and told me about it. He said, man, God has really convicted me that I need to start a Bible study with some friends of mine. I really need to get this going but I just need to find somebody to teach it. <laughs> and, I was, and I said, I really think the Lord is probably telling you to teach it. If, if the burden's on your heart, you're probably the one that should teach it. And he's a relatively new believer, so we'll cut him a little slack. Um, and his answer was, yeah, but I feel so inadequate. And that shows that he at least had his head in kind of the right place because we are inadequate. We're entirely inadequate. I'm inadequate, you're inadequate. <laughs> we all need God's grace in our lives. That's the only way we ever get anything done. At least that's been my experience. God uses us, but God does the heavy lifting. God used Moses, but he brought the plagues. Um, God uses us to minister and share the word, but he produces the fruit. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. And this is Paul talking. But our sufficiency is from God. Paul understood it, and Ananias understood it, and the key to our being able to minister effectively and confidently is our understanding of it. We are simply used of God. The outcome of our service is entirely up to Him. The almighty, omniscient, loving God is with us whenever he calls us to do something or anything. And we can always be sure that he's working in more ways than are obvious to us. 
Turn to Acts 22. This is Paul's account of what happened at his conversion. And I really find it interesting here. Ananias did not mince any words when he went to talk to Paul. He was confident. Um, let's see here. 12 through 16. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see the just one, and should hear the voice of his mouth. For thou, thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so Ananias... He was fearless when he talked to Paul. I really like that. And now, why, why tarriest thou? So Ananias is a huge encouragement to me. Because as far as I know, no one in here is D.L. Moody or Charles Spurgeon. And if you are, you should be standing up here preaching instead of me. And if you really think you are, that's probably a sign that you're actually not. But that being said, you know, the guy you work with might be. Uh, the kid that wears the same shabby outfit every Sunday, I'm not thinking of anybody specifically, but the kid that wears the same shabby outfit every Sunday, who's disruptive and has no clue about the Bible, he might be that person. The, the guy that wanders into your church on a snowy night, it might be, it could be anybody. And the fact is that God only knows what's going on in people's hearts, and we can be sure that God has a plan for them. The Lord knows what He's doing when He calls us to minister to people. We may or may not get to see the fruit of it in our lives, but we know there will be a fruit because God has called us, and it is He who does the heavy lifting. It is not up to us to decide who will or will not be faithful to the Lord. It is up to us to be prepared and have confidence that God will work when we minister. Father in heaven, I'm, I'm so thankful that you that you are the one that does the heavy lifting. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for bringing Paul to yourself um, and you used him to spread the gospel throughout the world that we can be here tonight and be saved. And I pray that, that you'd raise up a church full of Ananias, Lord, that aren't, won't be afraid to share the gospel. They won't be afraid to go when you convict and go when you prompt. Um, Lord, just thank you for what an awesome, wonderful God you are. In Jesus' name, amen.